This, this is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports Station. Jerry DePoto going to be with us here in just a moment. And then in 30 minutes, Brock, the return, triumphantly, I would say, of one of our favorite mystery guests. How's that sound? You ready for a mystery coming up in 30 minutes? That's uh, that's uh, what we have to look forward to um, coming up at 9 o'clock. A little, a little mystery that will be resolved. Uh, Jerry, uh, just uh, about to get him. Winter meetings, of course, start Sunday at the Bellagio, I believe, in Las Vegas. So I'm sure Jerry is uh, getting himself ready for all of the meals he plans to eat once he's there. And uh, as I've always said, it's one of my favorite things. I read a book Years ago, I think it was Josh Lewin, right? He, that's the announcer, right? Josh Lewin, is that his name? Mm. He used to do Mets games, I think. He wrote Sounds about, good. He uh-huh. wrote about the winter meetings. It was before I got into the business. I read the book and was like, you know what? I got to get into this. All I want to do is go to the winter meetings. I think I've been to six or seven since and used to pay my own way there and, and find ways to make enough money to, to pay it off. And it was awesome. It's just such a great experience for baseball fans. So, Well, Jerry, you're going to be down here. I mean, so why don't you just... I'm going down with Avery. I don't know whether I can just go over to the winter meetings. We've got Jerry. Let me let me turn okay. to Jerry. Jerry, good morning. How are you? Good morning, fellas. Are you ready for the winter meetings? I am ready for the winter meetings, but more importantly, I wanted to share an experience I had last night at a at a cocktail mixer for Rude Sports. Oh. I encountered the lovely Betsy, the 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 partner of Jacob Barnes, Justin Barnes, yes. your your producer. <laughs> Justin, yes. And I, I got I got a little bit of insight into some of the the, the mystique that has surrounded Betsy's very existence, and, and, I, and I I told her I would I would be happy to share you know, the fact that uh, that I encountered her that and she's she is real. magnificent. She is all the things that that Justin claims she is. Oh, I am so red right now. <laughs> You really embarrassed Justin. Oh my gosh! Yeah, we've we've been talking for a long time about how Betsy's fake because Justin claims to have this girlfriend, but every night he's out like gallivanting around Seattle oh, by himself, and so no one's ever seen or heard of Betsy. Um, and so it's interesting that you met her. Why did you come across? Where was she? She was at, as I said, she was at her a root sports, you know, wow. cocktail mixer, and she asked me if I knew Justin, and I, I said, you know, I know his name, but I, I've never met Justin, and at least to the best of my knowledge. And she said, she said, well, here's the story, and she filled me in, and I said, well, I will share with the world that you do in fact exist, oh. and you are magnificent. Wow. All right, I'll tell you what, we will first of all, we'll introduce you and Justin at the at uh, spring training this year to make sure that you guys actually know each other, and then, uh, wow. So Jerry uh, has confirmation that G really is going to need tomorrow, I That's think, true. when he when he comes on. All wow. right. Awesome. Well, before we get to uh, what you're going to be eating in Vegas next week, and I'm sure you've been planning out your restaurants carefully, uh, you guys did make a signing, Trevor Gott. Tell us a little bit about why you brought in this reliever. You know, Trevor does a lot of interesting things. We've, we've generally been good uh, internally at identifying pitchers that we feel like we can help turn a key and – uh, it, it, he had a very good year last year, and he, you know he always seems to. I've, I've known Trevor for a number of years. Traded for him once before in my lifetime, which I'm sure will shock everyone. <laughs> and you know he's uh, he's he throws in the mid 90s. He's got sink and run. He's got a good cutter in the low 90s. And it's a, there's a lot of elements there that already work, and we feel like there are opportunities to to maybe take him to a different level. And 
and we're going to give it to our pitching coaches and strategists and, and see what happens with Trevor as a Mariner. But really happy to have him on board. Can you compare and contrast Betsy and Trevor for us? <laughs> Stop that. <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah, I, I think they're, they're both magnificent people in different ways. <laughs> how about speaking of magnificent people, how about Andy McKay? That's sort of the other conversation and bit of uh, news from the last couple of days. I mean, he, he's was he with you guys right from the beginning? Year one is your player development guy. Yeah, so you know, I, I I got the job. It was last week of September in 2015, and you know, shortly after I got the job, I, I believe I believe Andy was employee number two. If he wasn't number two, he was three. That joined immediately after uh, I hopped on board. Uh, it's a Andy McKay, Joe Boringer, Scott Service. You know, the first wave of of people who who joined the Mariners at that time. Okay. And, and he's been our farm director since and, and has done a wonderful job. And then last year he was going to be on the bench, right? And then you needed him back in the in the in the development side of things if I'm not mistaken. And now he's going to be moving into the assistant GM role. What does that mean for you guys and for him? Yeah, you know, last year we had a, a plan in place to transition Andy to the field, which is a place he's very comfortable. You know, he he coached a college baseball for 16 years as a teacher and a coach by nature. And we built up a succession plan to have Emmanuel Sifuentes take over as our farm director. And then due to some, some I guess, uncontrollable family concerns or, or needs to address, Emmanuel wound up walking away shortly before spring training was, was to start after uh, almost a decade with the Mariners. And as, as a result, we had no farm director a week before spring training. So uh, fortunately, we had a very good one. We just had to reroute him. And, and after putting Andy back in that position, we just rethought the way our front office and, and development system worked and thought this was the better way to go long-term for all of us. Brock? Hey, uh, I'm sorry. Hey, uh, Jerry, last week uh, we saw an email from the, the Mariners, and Salk and I were talking about it this week, with the number of new personnel, and, and some of it was just maybe new titles or, or elevating people, and it just blew my mind. The level of depth of analytics of I, I believe there was a job for a analyst to study run production, uh, and I'm just kind of more curious to compare and contrast when you started in this business doing what you're doing at, at the level you did in management, and seeing now the expansion of these front offices, the expansion and the tools that you guys have now in the analyst realm and world. How different are these two places from when you started and where you sit today? I, I mean, it's it's really unbelievable. It is a, in a word. And if I could draw it back to you know when I started as a player in the '80s, and none of these things were were ever really discussed, and front offices were much more shallow. A baseball operations team it was probably fewer than ten people. <laughs> you know, I've I've talked to a couple of people who were here when the Mariners were born, and and was told that that roughly baseball operations was five or six people. And uh, now our baseball operations team spreads across the globe, scouting and player development. We've got about 180 people in our group. And our analytics department, even from the time I came to Seattle, has grown by 3x. And, and I, I think that is, that is where the game has gone. And you know, it's, a, it's an intelligence game, and you're constantly trying to figure out new and better ways to, to 
look under the hood and find information that can help players, you know, help players become, we call it the best version of themselves. And, and that's our goal. I think we knew that there was a lot of analytics and that the that the staffs had grown. I will admit to being surprised just reading how specific some of the roles were. Um, I mean, when when I read through the the email that came out with all the hires and and promotions just uh, or what late last week, earlier this week, when I see that there's somebody who is essentially in charge of lead analyst run scoring, and I, I assume there's also a lead analyst for run prevention, it really does get that specific, doesn't it? It really does, you know, and I, I think the the first team that 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 I saw reference roles with that kind of specificity in run scoring and run prevention might have been the Cubs, uh, you know, just a handful of years ago, and you know, allowing someone the, the ability like Spencer Weisberg, who has a, a great interest in in offensive baseball. You know, if we're talking about hitting, Spencer's always lively in the conversation and uh, for a generally lively person anyway. <laughs> and in this case, you know, it's giving someone that kind of specificity in their in their role allows them to come up with that one or two nuggets that just has a chance to change the way your operation works. And, you know, if, if someone is too spread out, you don't get the focus that something like this allows Spencer to do, or Joel Furman, who is our director of analytics, tends to spend more of his time on the pitching end and, and run prevention. And, you know, he is a little more broad in what he's doing, but similarly, he spends 95% of his day digging down on pitching. And, and that has been, you know, we talked about Trevor Gott and some of the, the way we think we can help him. A lot of that comes from this group of people who are constantly trying to identify those skills and traits that we can help amplify. You bring all 180 with you to the winter meetings? No, no. You know, 100, we'll, we'll bring maybe 170, <laughs> you know, budget conscious. It's tough for those 10 to get uh, left behind. There's, we have a number of people who are actively, you know, working, physically working, especially broadly and across the globe in the Dominican Republic and our scouts who generally don't go to the general, uh, the, the uh, winter meetings, but by and large, our decision-making group, our directors and coordinators at various levels, our analysts will all be at the meetings. We'll probably have a contingent of 30 or 35, which is consistent with the numbers you'll see from other teams around the league. Does uh, does that group know yet how it wants to handle some of your potentially open spots, second base, maybe most pressingly? You guys have a, a thought as to where this is going to go? Yeah, I wish I had a, a the the actual <laughs> player. Uh, we we don't really have that. We have a lot of different machinations that may lead us to a result. And you know, when you start out, you can't really start out with just Plan A or even just plan A or plan B, which we tend to spread wider nets. We, we contact the free agents, various teams about trade targets, you know, and then we just constantly negotiate and move down the road until the deal appears. You know, what that deal looks like could still be a free agent. It could still be a trade. But, you know, as we go, we effectively are knocking players off the list. And, and we have a better idea of who's not on our list at this point than who will actually join the group. But we do still intend to add a player at second base, you know, and we are confident that we'll ultimately get to that point. You know, who that player is at this point still has to, to, to appear. And my guess is somewhere between now and the winter meetings, it's going to become more, more vivid. 
Yeah, what have you learned? You said baseball is a game of intelligence right now. What, what have you learned, Jerry, in the last few weeks about the market, about both the free agent, the trade market, anything kind of shaping one way or another? You know, it's a it's it's always a, a slowish time in in the the gap between the GM meetings and the the winter meetings. And if I, if I had one, if I had a dollar for for every time I've read a story about the slow moving market during this particular time <laughs> over the years, it's always this way. And you know, there's a a small rush at the start. There's a, there's a lull, and then it really starts to to heat up again when you get to the winter meetings. So I, I guess I'm not learning anything that I didn't anticipate, you know, learning along the way. It's a, it, there are a ton of, of awesome players available at the top of this free agent market. That tends to garner a lot of the attention. You know, and meanwhile, if, if you are, you know, like with the Trevor Gotts of the world, if you are aware of internal needs and connect with the right players on the right deals early, these, you know, these are moves, the subtle little moves that happen in November and early December that really shape the, you know, the, the function of a 26-man roster. And, and then what happens at the winter meetings is oftentimes the, the more, yeah, the more glamorous move. But this is the time for, you know, building the engine, and and that's not changed really. I haven't learned anything about this market that we didn't already expect. It's going to cost a lot to, to sign the big players and. And right now, teams ask for a lot in trade. And so but the theme is it, it's a lot right now. Jerry, um, I know we've spent some time on this maybe the last few times we've spoken, but you, you I think, really helped un, helped me anyway understand what you guys, what your philosophy is with the, the draft develop and trade team that you described yourself as. And, and, you know, Brock and I were debating this a little bit earlier and hearing from some folks out there who hear that and what they hear is so you're not interested in spending more money, that the organization doesn't want to spend can you just take us through it again a little bit in a little bit more depth? How does how does that blend with the organization's payroll and ability to go out and bring in free agents? Well, some of it is about payroll. You know, like with each of the other 29 teams, we're working on a payroll budget. Ours might be different than the Yankees or the, the Dodgers, and, and that might be different than what some other smaller market teams deal with. We are generally a middle-of-the-market you know, franchise. You know, we, we tend to land right in the middle in terms of revenue, oftentimes in terms of payroll. And we have been able to, at, at, our, at our top end, we have been able to, to work our way into top 10 payrolls pretty consistently during our, our most competitive years or with the, the big rosters. You know, one of the things, and I, I think I've mentioned this in weeks past, one of the things that really gets lost in the wash right now with some of what we've done with extensions for guys like J.P. Crawford and Julio Rodriguez and Luis Castillo, you know, with some of the escalating player costs that we anticipate with the coming arbitration of guys like Logan Gilbert and George Kirby and Cal Raleigh, there's, we are very aware of what our future payrolls look like because the decisions you make today, and, and this is uh, – this is more difficult for someone who's not looking more broadly. Now the decisions you make today don't just affect your 2023 payroll and and you're not going to go from 115 million to 215 in in a year, because what winds up happening is two years from that point, you're at 315 (laughs) because the, the, the escalating costs really do start to start to pile up right now. We have more future commitments, 2024 and beyond, than all but two teams in baseball. So 
We have spent our money. We have built larger payrolls. We've just done it in a different way than maybe the the front-facing, uh, the, the, the basic 2023 roster look might suggest. And, and that's where draft, develop, and trade comes in, is that we are sometimes looking for shorter-term spits who won't affect the 2026 payroll when all of this really starts to crest. And you've got multiple players making 25 plus million dollars and you're trying to figure out how to build a team. So it's, it's all really a jigsaw puzzle of making sure that, that, that all the pieces fit. And as a result, your preference sometimes is on a shorter contract with, with, you know, one or two year hits where you can fit players in and not grossly move your payroll three years down the road, because we don't want to be in a situation where what we think are our foundational players, you know, like the Raleigh's, like the, the Logans and like the, the Curdies, we don't want to ever be in a situation where those guys are, don't fit for us. That's our team. Yeah, it makes sense. And I, and I would think that the other advantage is you know your guys and, and, and who deserves to get paid and how they're going to handle being paid better than you know a free agent that comes from the outside. I, I think that's 100% true, and we talked about that a lot with Julio. And frankly, it was one of the things that we felt just in a short period of time, even getting to know Luis Castillo over a couple of weeks, it's it just such a much more comfortable thing than sitting down at dinner with somebody and saying, all right, that's our guy. It's a, it, it's a commitment. It's a, it's a marriage when you get to that level of, of investment in a player. On both ends, you know, they're investing in you and you're investing in them. And, and speed dating is sometimes not the, the way to go. But you know, that's not to say, and I've said this throughout, if we find the right fit at the right price and that guy walks through the door, we're into that. It's a, it's a matter of finding the right person. And I, I know it, the, the off season, I've been through this for many years and, and have been with the group that has won the off season a number of times. It's, it's about building long-term, and, and we don't want to tie off what happens for our organization. We think this is a sustainable winning roster, and we don't want to tie off what happens three and five years down the road by making decisions today based on emotion rather than just taking a step back and looking at, at what the, the future forecast looks like. I think we're going to be good for a long time, and that's our goal. Hey, uh, Jerry, Jerry, last question from me is we got to see a little video the other day. I think it was last week with Matt Brash down there at Driveline. And Salk and I were trying to figure out, more Salk than me, because, you know, he knows the, the pitch sequencing better than I do, uh, of trying to understand why he's working on a cutter. And the technology that went behind it, the spin rate, the, the stuff was just blowing my mind. I so thoroughly enjoyed watching the analytics behind it. But why would the cutter be the next pitch added to Matt Brash's repertoire? You know, he actually started throwing one at the tail end of the season. And, you know, it became a, a go-to pitch for him. It's just something to create more, you know, horizontal movement in the strike zone. Matt has, you know, we, we've talked about it before, physical stuff-wise, he, he's oftentimes as good as it gets. Curveball, slider spin, the fastball ride. He does so many interesting things. He went to driveline at year's end, and, and the guys at driveline do a phenomenal job of, of pitch development and pitch shaping. And, and, you know, Matt is not the only of our pitchers who, have, who has gone to driveline, and oftentimes we will send our pitchers there to, to work with 
the third party group that we think is is as good as it gets in the industry at, at teaching these things. You know, and we thought with if you have the kind of velocity that Matt has with a generally true fastball, his fastball rides straight. If you have that in the in the high nineties and now you have a low nineties, you know, and, and sometimes harder version of that 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 cuts away from a hitter at a right handed hitter at this at, at that speed, the the way that that creates tunnels to pitch in is just phenomenal. And that we already think Matt's going to be an exceptional major league pitcher, but this just gives him another pitch to go to. So he doesn't become so predictable and it gives him a strike pitch. He's down in account two Oh or two one. That isn't just a straight fastball because no matter how hard you throw it in this league, they'll trigger it and hit it a long way. But if they can't predict the, the, the way the ball is going to, fly or, or, or travel through the strike zone and it cuts late, now you've got an advantage. So so help me understand this because that's kind of, it's interesting to me and maybe it's some of the way the game has changed a little bit over the course of the last five or ten years but I think of Brash, right? He's got his fastball, he's got a slider which breaks glove side and he's got a curveball which breaks glove side. He adds another pitch which is going to move in that same direction. Why is that more valuable than trying a two-seam or a change-up, something that would go the other direction? Well, he's, I know he's tried and continues to try to two seam to try the two seamer. The cutter really gives you something to come back lefties, and you know, as I said, it also gives you something that you can throw in the strike zone with movement because his fastball, for all of its qualities, isn't a, a pitch that moves a good deal. You know, that George gets that 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 run and that sink on the arm side with his two seamer. Matt has got a pretty straight fastball, so this gives him something that with a wrinkle in the strike zone. It's often easier to throw the cutter for a strike than a pitch like the curveball or slider. The curveball or slider at the types of, of spin that Matt throws, very hit or miss sometimes, whether you're on or you're off. And it's, it, it, it's not good in our league to pitch 2-0-2-1-3-1 and, and do it with a straight fastball. It just gives him a sense. different flavor. And you know, it's a, I think a very effective pitch that is it's time tested. He's doing it well. And, and now he can jam up those left-handed hitters and keep their bat a little bit shorter. Did you make anything good for Thanksgiving this year? Uh, I ate a lot of really good things. <laughs> you know, the, I, as I said, I'm responsible for carving the turkey and an occasional side dish. Yes. So, uh, you know, this year my contributions were mostly about the, the stuffing, you know, which is, the, I guess, the more savory of the, the side dishes we use. A little bit of sage, a little bit of sausage. It was, I, I think, tasty, but I'm biased. And my wife did a phenomenal job with the turkey and the rabbit. Well, Jerry, good stuff. I'm um, looking forward to the winter meetings next week. You guys will be in San Diego. I thought you were in Vegas. I'm sorry about that. You're in San Diego, which is probably better, right? Less trouble for everybody to get into. You know, the, the, the years that we've been, my experience in Vegas, if you may recall, a couple of years ago was not particularly pleasant. No. So I invite San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and, and we also get to go. But I will say this, uh, having spent a ton of time in San Diego in my baseball life, you know, you're not going to find anywhere where you get the better Mexican or seafood or Mexican seafood. And, and, uh, you know, in addition to hunting down players that fit the Mariners roster, I'm, I'm looking forward to a good fish taco as you should, Jerry, I hope you get your fish taco. We'll talk on Thursday until then. Uh, good luck. And, and maybe we'll see if something gets done between uh, now and Thursday at the winter meetings. Thanks, man. Sounds good guys.